If you want more from Dee and her sister and partner in crime, Rhonda, check out Switchblade Sisters Social Club, a true crime podcast where two sisters exploit their worst fears for your entertainment. You're welcome. You're listening to We Knew the Moon with Dee Safier, an empath who started a podcast to explore the universe, spirituality, and all things witchy woo-woo. Don't forget to check out the website, wenewthemoon.co.uk for all your I do what I want and the moon made me do it merch, whichever excuse you prefer to use for all of your life choices. Hi everyone, this is Dee and this is the We Knew the Moon podcast. I'm super excited because I'm joined today by Safia Ammer. Hello, Safia. Hi. I always give everyone a little bit of background on how I know my guest. If I know them, I do know you. (laughs) We actually worked in the same building quite a long time ago, but we didn't really interact that much. But then, because the world is actually smaller than we think it is, you were the music therapist for my sister's twins, who both have autism, and you have helped them come along leaps and bounds. And it was just really lovely to reconnect with you. Now you're living in Spain, doing some music therapy work. And I'm going to put all of your links in the show notes. So if anyone wants to know more about it or hire you, but why don't you tell people what your website is and where they can find you online? Yeah, sure. So my website is sophia-ama.com. I'm on Facebook as Sophia Ama-Music Therapist and Instagram, Sophia.aa.musictherapist. Oh, fantastic. And so just quickly, what is music therapy? <laughs> oh, Dee, that's a very big question. So music therapy is using music. I always think of it as using music for health goals. Oh, I like that. And who would come to you? So music therapists work in a variety of settings. I can tell you who I've worked with. So I've worked with people with dementia. I've worked with children with autism, special needs, profound and multiple learning difficulties. Music therapists also work in forensics, mental health. But I I mostly have worked in adoption and dementia. And I'm currently training to be a vocal psychotherapist. That's very trauma informed. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, we're all very aware of the impact of music on well-being and your mood and so forth. So you're kind of doing next level, next level that. <laughs> well, we're just like any other therapist, but we, we do do talking in sessions, but we also use music. That's so lovely. Yeah. Yeah. So we have the honor of having you for the next two episodes. I'm going to cover a topic. And then you are going to present a topic to me. And when I pick the topic that I want to share with my guests, I I do try to match it to their interests so that they'll be able to have input and be excited by it as well. So I'm really excited about this topic because I'm going to be doing sound healing in the spiritual world. Okay. I have always been interested in sound and music my sister is you know studied music at university and music and culture and so forth so we've always kind of had that in our life I've been listening to solfeggio which I'll talk about more which is music set to different frequencies that are supposed to have different influences on your mental well-being or your state of mind and I also went to this to say it was life-changing is not over exaggerating I went to a life-changing sound healing session a couple of months ago with a guy who had all of the gongs, all of the crystal balls, Tibetan crystal crystal balls and Himalayan ones and a bunch of other instruments. And we had to just lie down on the floor on these yoga mats and just be taken away by the music. And in all honesty, it was at night and it was a gorgeous room and it was lying down with blankets and it was candlelit. And I thought I'm going to lie down and fall asleep because you know, I'm tired from life. (laughs) But actually, it just took me to a state of mind, like a meditative state that I've never really been in before, because I'm not very good at meditating, like silently. And it was just, I just felt like I was having epiphany after epiphany after epiphany. It was just amazing. And I'm really pleased to say that now the, the Goddess Temple Twickenham is up and running. We have events starting from April. So once this podcast episode comes out, our events will be well underway. The guy who did this sound healing session, we have booked him for our full moon in Aquarius moon circle. So that would be Thursday, 11th of August at 7 p.m. That's at the Etna Center in St. Margaret's. 
His name is Marco Florio. He's a um, accredited British Academy of Sound Therapist, and he was just phenomenal. So we had to get him for one of our events. But that really got me even more interested in this sort of effect, the impact mm -hmm. of sound and music on our, our mental well-being and our state of mind. So I wanted to just look a little bit more into it. And apologies, because you probably did all this when you trained. <laughs> I worked at the Children's Trust and I worked with children with profound and multiple learning difficulties. And so they used a lot of the singing bowls. I think in, in music therapy training, we look a lot at improvised music and songs and you might find like um, a singing bowl to use, but actually I've never been trained in sound therapy. And it was always something I was very interested in because particularly working with children with PMLD, it's very much about uh, the sensory feedback and the vibrations and that's it yeah in music therapy with that population you wouldn't necessarily it wouldn't be as interactive so you're always trying to find ways to make the music more accessible for for, for the children and young people but sometimes it is about using the sound for therapeutic effects I'm really really interested in it so I'm so excited to have this guy booked if you want to find out more about what we're doing with the Goddess Temple Twickenham, I put out a bonus episode. It's all our upcoming events and the location and why we set it up and what we're going to be doing and so forth. But yeah, that's the 11th of August, Thursday, the 11th of August in the evening. Right. So I've got a couple of sources that I'm just going to list quickly. There is an article called Sound Therapy and Wellbeing, Some Scientific Studies from MedicinaNarrativa.eu. So I think you are like me. We love when the woo-woo and the science meet, right? That's like yes. sweet spot. Exactly. <laughs> so I did try to find some like some of the scientific proof of some of the theories that have come out in the spiritual world to do with sound and sound healing. Um, and because I'm always like reluctant to use the word healing for anything unless you are a doctor or trained or whatever. Yeah. Because I think it's used too flippantly. So I wanted to see whether people were justified in calling it sound healing. Yeah, yeah. So the healing power of sound as meditation was another article I read in Psycho Psychology Today. The science behind healing with sound on the Uplift website and history of sound healing on the Red Door Studio website. I'm going to be talking about first what sound healing is. I went into a little deep dive into the history of sound healing, which again was fascinating. <laughs> and then I'm going to talk about some scientific evidence supporting sound healing. And then I'm going to talk about solfeggio and some other ways of incorporating sound healing into your life and into your spiritual practice or whatever practice you observe. That sounds very exciting. No, it, it was so much fun. <laughs> I always think I'm going to be super interested in the topic. And then I start researching and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is even more amazing than I realized. <laughs> yeah. So according to The Guardian, there was another Guardian article that I read, sound therapy is the belief that our bodies contain energy frequencies and that sonic frequencies, so different sounds basically, can be used to reattune these energies when they go off key. And that all you have to do is lie down and bask in the sounds. They will change your energies. So mm -hmm. it'll lift your mood. Some people claim that it can help repair your DNA. Mm -hmm. So that's the theory behind sound therapy and music or sound healing therapy is using different sounds to improve your, either your physical health, your emotional well-being, your state of mind, so forth. And we all know that that is fact, right? We all can think of a song that lifts us or sounds that we like, the birds chirping, or for some people that might be the sound that you hate and it really puts you in a bad mood. I don't think anyone's going to think that that's a controversial idea that music can affect your state of mind your mood or anything right no definitely not I mean I I notice in myself if I go a few days of not well I, do I ever go a day without listening to music if I listen to less music I feel a change in my mood like I feel more yeah. agitated or yeah I don't think that could be argued <laughs> some of us have different playlists for different activities like driving or working out because they help us during that activity either by keeping us sane while we're doing long distance driving or workout music would be very upbeat and keep Motivating. us in the zone. Exactly. So, you know, you might have your study music, which might be more sort of acoustic or calm or chill or whatever. And then obviously you've got music that you want to dance to and music that you want to sort of sit and chill at a dinner party or with your friends having a glass of wine. There's music for different different activities and music for different state of mind and music to help you get into that state of mind and etc. 
probably where it's a little bit more controversial and I wanted to look into it a bit more as to how to what extent can you call it healing Mm. how much can you say that it affects your physical state now my belief is that 100% it can because that link between your mental state and your physical state and your physical health is very real and I think we're getting more and more aware of that right so if you are living in constant state of anxiety and fear it has physical repercussions whether you get the stress shit or you're sore because your muscles are all tense all the time or whatever right it's just no absolutely it's the whole it's the mind-body connection isn't it exactly so again I don't even think it's that controversial to think that improving your mental state improves your physical state basically the rhythm the frequency the vibrations the pitch the tone the style of the music they're all meant to bring you into balance which I really Mm. like the thought of And surprise, surprise, it's actually a very ancient practice and music is used in spiritual practice in everyday life in almost every culture. I didn't find one example where they were like, no, we don't use music or sound in any way in our culture. We're very familiar with it in churches, in hymns and in prayer. That's basically a kind of chanting, isn't it? Yeah. It's just found everywhere. Sound healing did have a very surprising origin story. Mm. The father of this practice is Pythagoras. Oh. Right? So we all remember him from school, <laughs> from Pythagoras's theorem of, what was it, like A squared plus B squared equals C squared, like triangle shit, right? <laughs> Went over my head. <laughs> yeah. So he's known as the father of mathematics. Yes. And the father of geometry. But he's also known as the father of music. Well, they do say that if you're, well, do they say that? There's a connection between being good at music and maths because of, you know, the rhythm, the counting. and. I mean, you can definitely see a connection. That is, yeah, wow. But he was basically the first person, and again, I'm going to say in the Western world, because that's all we can really say. um, He was the first person to prescribe music as medicine, which is so lovely, isn't it? That's really lovely. Yeah, so then I went down a rabbit hole, basically fangirling over Pythagoras because I learned a lot about him that I didn't know. So yeah, here we go. He lived in 570 to 495 BC. So this is like 500 plus years before Christ. And he was a contemporary of the Buddha. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I know, which I, I mean, I didn't know when when any of these things happened. So it's not a surprise I didn't know. Siddhartha Gautama, who was basically the one who set up Buddhism and became known as the first, the Buddha, uh, lived at the same time as Pythagoras. So just an idea of when all these things are happening. And Pythagoras was actually the first Westerner, again, I'm going to say from the West, to believe that the earth was round. It was only like 2000 years later that Copernicus discovered in quotation marks that the earth was round so Pythagoras with all of his different um mathematical theories and and understanding of geometry already knew this mind-blowing isn't it that is I feel like we've got a lot to thank him for (laughs) right well if people had listened to him at the time then but that's true that's another topic (laughs) yeah (laughs) but he understood things like that the moon was bright because it reflected the sunlight Mm. which is obvious to us now but was not known at the time I mean again this is 2,500 years ago he understood things like eclipses and the equinoxes and everything again because of his understanding of geometry he believed in gender equality thank you Pythagoras thank you I know again shame no one listened to him I also like that he was vegetarian (laughs) which is super cute wow very he's a very progressive guy I know so progressive super But then also, like, he was on just this quest for knowledge that I think is so admirable, especially at the time where things like travel were much more difficult and intense. He was the first outsider to be accepted into the knowledge of the secret Egyptian temples because he studied with them for 23 years. Bear in mind, this is a time where, like, your lifespan was, average lifespan was probably 23 years. But then he went on to go and study a bunch of other religious groups and, and so forth. Then he became a hermit in a cave in the slopes of Mount Carmel. The only thing I read about him that made me think like, eh, maybe, maybe, maybe you're not the one for me, Pythagoras, is that he didn't <laughs> drink wine. 
which is weird at a time where like water in a lot of places it was safer to drink alcohol than to drink water oh I didn't know that it would make sense it would make sense so I mean if you're getting fresh water from springs or whatever then you were all right but like if it was coming through any kind of civilization it was probably contaminated with sewage or some waste or whatever yeah exactly this is why like for hundreds of years children would drink beer and stuff like in the industrial revolution in particular when pollution was so bad yeah people were encouraged to drink beer and stuff you'd have beer for breakfast and whatever because because the water was so contaminated (laughs) I did not know that that's fascinating so he spent 23 years assimilating into sort of Egyptian culture then the king of Persia invaded and conquered Egypt and they executed the pharaoh but they captured Pythagoras and took him as a prisoner to Babylon because the magi the stewards of the Persian science and religion at the time were quick to recognize that Pythagoras was an enlightened individual. So they knew that they needed to save him and not execute him because they wanted to learn from him, which I think is like for your reputation, 500 BC, 2000 years before social media for it to spread from Egypt to Persia. I want to know what is his promotion tactics. (laughs) I know, right? Like he was kind of a big deal on campus here. (laughs) Yeah. So there in Persia, he learned firsthand from the Chaldeans, who were the renowned astronomers and astrologers, and from the academic society in Persia and Syria. So we now understand that those cultures were very well developed and very advanced for their time. Um, A lot of what they knew was lost over the years and through the Crusades and through the various, you know, empires and, and conquerors and invaders and blah, blah, blah. He was like a sponge, just learning everything he could from everyone. He took part in purification ceremonies, like like the consumption of hallucinogenics. There was one called uh, Hawama juice, which was the sacred juice of the Parsis. It sounds like he was this lovely blend of like wanting to learn all about the spiritual world, but with his background in math and geometry and so forth, like really wanting to understand the science behind all of it, which I really love and respect. So it was at this time that he perfected his knowledge of numbers, astronomy, the harmony between them all. Also, he managed to develop his ability to what they thought was like predicting the future but really it was because of his knowledge of celestial events. Interesting. So after 12 years in Persia, the king of Persia died. And it was then that he was allowed to leave. And he went back to his native homeland of Greece and his island of Samos. Going back to his belief of the impact of music, he believed through music that he could perform what he called soul adjustments. Do you think mm. this is like this, the same language that's used by like Reiki practitioners and sound healers to this day? So um, really progressive, wasn't he? Yeah, I, I think so many things that we practice today do have roots from way before. I think even like music therapy, it's a relatively new profession, but I'm not saying it was practiced, you know, ages ago, but music has been used in medicine and healing for years. And I always think if something has popped up in many different cultures, in almost every culture, over every period of time, there must be some validity or some reason why everyone uses this technique. Yeah, no, absolutely. So he basically thought, Pythagoras thought, music is mathematics, which we were saying before. It's very much about counting beats, frequencies. There's a lot of maths involved in it. Rhythm, structure, yeah. Right? So arithmetics is the number in itself. Geometry is the number in space. And music is the number in time. Mm. So that's how he differentiated it. I like that. Such a nice way to, to put it, isn't it? And to think the about number it. in time. Yeah. Yeah, I really like that. And then astronomy is a number or numbers in space and time. It's amazing. <laughs> right? It's like, I know. I was just like, it's like mind-blowing. Yeah. And again, all of this two and a half thousand years ago. It's just amazing, isn't it? Pythagoras used various intervals of harmonic ratios as medicine for diseases of the body, the emotions, and the soul. 
So I started thinking about different harmonies, different musical ratios, and how they would impact different physical ailments and your emotions and so forth. So Pythagoras taught that music should never just be thought of as a form of entertainment, which of course it is also. But he recognized that music was an expression of harmony, or as he called it, harmonia, which is the divine principle that brings order to chaos and discord. So it's a way of making sense of the world around us. I absolutely love that. I really do. He thought that music had a dual value because like maths, it is, enables people to see the structures of nature. It made me think I need to do an episode on the Fibonacci sequence. He thought and he taught that if used correctly, music can bring the faculties of the soul into harmony and it can be used to compose and purify the mind, mm. which I totally get because, you know, I, I suffer from anxiety. I'm happy to say that I have general anxiety disorder and I treat it very well with medicine. And I'm very happy to say that too. If that's not to say I don't have my opinions on big pharma, blah, blah, blah. But if you can go to the shop no. and get a pill that helps you out with your mental state, then fucking do it. Yeah, um, no need to reject medicine when it's like needed and helpful. That's yeah. what I think. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. Yeah. Do your research into what you're taking and whatever. But yeah. Yeah. But I also I very much use music to compose my mind and to calm my anxieties and to stop myself getting into an anxious state in the first place. So I'm yeah, I'm I'm here for this. <laughs> And then he also thought that it could heal the physical body, thus restoring and maintaining perfect health, mm. which I love. I think that's what I really like about a lot of music psychology literature, because I think sometimes maybe people hear things like that and they think, but how, how would you just, but actually understanding the effect on the brain of music, then obviously the effect that that has on your physical being, there is evidence for this. So Pythagoras and Pythagoreans, people who follow him, actually use certain forms of music to pacify and harmonize the mind, as well as harmonize the irrational passions. <laughs> I want to know more. <laughs> what the hell is an irrational passions? So I've just mentioned the Pythagoreans. Pythagoreans. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to fucking pronounce that word. The ripe old age of 55, because bear in mind, this is two and a half thousand years ago. So 55 I don't think very many people even got to that age, but at 55, wow. Pythagoras set up his community in a place called Croton, which I think is in Italy. And this is what I mean. Like, I wish we were around at the time. I would have totally loved to join this probably cult, but I would have been very happy. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, actually, I don't think I would have been accepted because he tested and scrutinized anyone for a very long time before accepting them into this community. They basically had to be geniuses. Oh, oh. Yeah, I know. I was like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> but he went in deep. So basically he would ask people about their relationship with their parents and their family. He would look into their tone of their speech and laughter. He would ask about what they desired, what their hobbies were. I mean, this is like deep psychology. So he's doing a psychological assessment on them. Exactly. Long before psychology was a thing. So he observed their body language. Wow. I know. It's amazing. And then if they were accepted, they were welcomed into the community, but they were on trial as an auditory member for three years, which meant that they could just go and like listen to the workshops and whatever. They weren't full members, like observer states at the UN. He then tested their attachment to material things, mm. their need for praise. And I've put in brackets, this is where I would fail. I fucking love <laughs> praise. <laughs> who doesn't? <laughs> oh, I had this conversation. We know who doesn't like praise. British people. Oh, that's true, actually. <laughs> they feel totally uncomfortable with compliments. Maybe they would be great for this community. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's so true. God, thinking about it, yeah. It came up in the cult episode because we were talking about how cult leaders like praise and adoration and so forth and we were saying that like um, me and my sister were like yeah who doesn't like that and then we realized British people British people they feel so uncomfortable we're saying that you you pay them like a half compliment and they're like oh no no so, so um but they also got tested on things like their generosity and so forth and then if they passed the probation which was three years which again Imagine. I feel like three years two and a half thousand years ago was like 20 years the equivalent because people's lifespans were so much shorter right I find a six-month work probation stressful I know <laughs> two, three years. 
<laughs> so apparently if they weren't accepted, they got given a nice tidy, like, um, what's it called when you get like a redundancy package you know yeah basically got given a bunch of stuff to just go and start a new life so they were looked after either way but then they became a disciple if they passed and they had to be silent for five years and give away all their possessions it was an intense thing but I mean I now have a love for Pythagoras so if it meant hanging out with him I would have done it I would have done it would you well can you imagine preaching about gender equality at this time well this is true sorry yeah 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 you know what I mean I would have been like let me touch his hand (laughs) he had nightly lectures and there were rarely less than 600 attendees at these nightly lectures Hmm. quite impressive right super impressive like every night (laughs) yeah yeah oh my god but then as you can imagine people started getting suspicious of about this community of geniuses that were kind of a little bit culty, I suppose, and a little bit like, you know, it must've been intimidating because they were all these super geniuses, a bit of uh, resistance to them in the local communities. And there was a wealthy nobleman, noble in quotation marks, called Kailon, who led a bunch of group of people who were also suspicious. They tried to gain access to the community, but they were denied. And so one day while Pythagoras was away, Kylon brought together a force and brutally murdered most of the community and exiled the rest. Oh my goodness. Which like, these were clearly peace-loving people, right? I mean, they were academics. They were, they wanted to study this, the impact of music on the soul. Like, leave them alone. That's really shocking, yeah. At this time, Pythagoras was nearly a hundred years old. <gasps> he made it to a hundred? Nearly. Oh, Nearly. Which in today's ages is like a million years old, right? He took asylum in the Temple of Muses, which I struggled to, I tried to figure out where the Temple of Muses was, but there's quite a few. But it's a place, like a lot of religious places that is protected by sacred law. So I guess he was literally taking asylum so that these people that were after him in his community wouldn't find him. He decided to stop eating and died on the 40th day of his hunger strike of starvation. So... What a man, but what a sad ending. I know. But yeah, it just seems weird that we only learned about a pretty big theory from what I remember. But I feel like I use his theories about music much more in everyday life than the triangle theory. I mean, well, I've not used the triangle theory once in my real life. (laughs) So I'm going to go on to a little bit about the history of sound in religious contexts, but not much because we kind of already covered it. Yeah, as we said, in almost every religion, there's some element of music and sound. I can't think of one where there isn't. You have singing in almost every religion. You have chanting in almost every religion, um, whether you want to call it prayers or chanting or spell work. Yeah, it can go by many names. You know, the chanting, the beats that alter your kind of emotional, mental state. They get you into a, um, like if you go to church and you've got these, the hymns and so forth, it's to get you into the sense of community as well, isn't it? Which I think is really interesting. It is. And, and it, you just made me think, actually, like we, we often speak about in music therapy, um, uh, certain structures or rhythmical structures, why you would use them, because it's it feels safe and containing. Yeah. So it's something that's predictable. Yeah. Exactly. And there's a lot of that in like, I remember covering it when I was studying poetry at school, different poetry formats that are used for different kinds of poetry for very specific reasons, you know, even though yeah. so many like syllables are in a line and stuff like that. And whether they rhyme at the end is meant to bring out certain different emotions and so forth. So we talked about Tibetan and Himalayan singing bowls, We've got bells and chimes, like the church bells that go off for holidays they produce an emotion. And then I found this about Christianity. You're Muslim, aren't you? Yeah, my dad's from a Muslim background, but he doesn't practice. And I think my parents are pretty much atheist and my mom's from a Christian background and she didn't change. So I've always grown up in a world where I feel connected to both. But you you have been in like churches and cathedrals and so forth, I'm sure, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, I love this because apparently these cathedrals and churches were designed to create an acoustic opportunity to talk to God. It makes sense because, you know, there is that sound that we associate with like hymns in church and the echoey vibe of it, right? I actually really like Gregorian chant. Exactly. <laughs> 
<laughs> but it's literally enhancing the singing and the chanting to a more spiritual level with aim, which I thought was amazing that they are actually taking that into the acoustics into play when designing these churches and cathedrals hundreds and hundreds of years ago. The best places I've ever done recitals is in churches. I can I can believe that. Yeah. The acoustics is amazing. Yeah. So the fact that that was, I mean, it makes sense, but I guess I never thought about it. The fact that that was planned is really cool, actually. So I didn't know that. I didn't read it. And it would make so much sense. But it, and again, especially in those kind of spiritual environments, like the, and not just spiritual. I went to a gig last Friday. I went to go see Skunk and Nancy. It was amazing. Amazing. <laughs> There's something about singing collectively the same thing that really brings about, like I said before, that sense of community and, and belonging that is also really good for yourself, um, you know, your self-esteem and your self-worth and your well-being. No, absolutely. And I, I, I don't want to connect everything to music therapy, but I can say from like the dementia, we, I did a lot of music therapy groups and you would all of a sudden see people not really speaking to each other and all of a sudden they're singing together and there's someone saying to the other one right sing louder and and it's just it does create it creates connection community yeah you know the words you're in the club exactly exactly it's just a form of connect connection which is huge so then I I was looking into the use of sound within a healing context because like I said I was like before we start calling things healing I want to be sure that it is and also I think the word healing itself is quite vague isn't it Quite problematic I think yeah because what, what does it mean yeah is healing as simple as something that puts you in a better mood I would say yes to an extent because that helps your well, that's it well-being but I'm just a little bit I, I get nervous about it I'm going to be honest I use it in different things we've got a sound healing workshop coming up and so forth but I feel a bit nervous about it because I don't want people I don't like when people claim they can do more than they can I think that's my problem with it yeah, and I think it's I think if people are going to use it, it's being very clear that what the definition is, yeah, the person yeah. who's claiming to do the healing and the person who's receiving it. Yeah. Exactly. So that they're what um, extent are we claiming we can heal and of what? You know, like we're not advertising. Yeah. We're not advertising our sound healing event as being able to cure cancer, for example. <laughs> but we are saying it can get you into a nice meditative state and give you a bit of peace of mind on that evening that might help you reflect on certain things, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Yeah. Cause I think that could be problematic. Right. Yeah. Cause I, I, I can't remember what that, I watched something on Netflix once about, um, you know, it was people claiming that if you consumed essential oils, this person did, and then they didn't need their cancer treatment. And it's just the consequences of that. I think this whole idea of totally rejecting medicine, but that, you know, that could in some instances, I assume kill people if they don't yeah. go and get their treatment. Problematic happy to say on this podcast that we are pro-vaccine and pro-medicine and I don't even like the term of western medicine blah 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 because so many medicines come from natural sources like aspirin is from willow bark you know very 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 pro researching what you're taking obviously yes yes yeah and being careful but you don't have to be either or exactly so we're we're always a bit worried about people that are claiming more than they can actually deliver. I think that's yeah. not a problem in many walks of life. Exactly. So I did want to look into like the use of sound in healing and what that actually means. Mm-hmm. And the first thing I found was that Aborigines in Australia have been using the didgeridoo as a healing tool for 40,000 years. Wow. And I didn't realize that the didgeridoo was a healing tool. Like I didn't realize they were using that for sound healing, but mm. it makes sense. Cause it's such a, rhythmic guttural sound like we discussed a deep sound that's very grounding grounding yeah you know it sounds very natural and very reflective of the atmosphere and so it feels like it connects you with the environment as well which I think is always a lovely thing isn't it and then we've got yoga practice which for you know what centuries has been using chants and mantras to enter a state of mind Affirmations. I wonder if affirmations would count. Chanting has been known as being particularly powerful in healing because it's thought to create an opiate effect on the body, which is really cool. That's fascinating. Because that can help overcome mental and physical pain and injury. Yeah, I'm just wondering, because I know in like music therapy, we speak about the idea that everyone's innately musical. 
everything in your body is music like your heartbeat is a rhythm your so yeah I wonder if it's if, if a lot of it is actually about it, it is about that connection to the body and yeah re- regulating things and putting things back into balance and I'm yeah I'm, I'm not surprised because it would affect things like your heart rate and your breathing right right yeah but yeah the fact that it creates this opiate effect and opiates obviously are meant to make you feel really nice and happy but also they're used to help us with recovery and pain relief so if you can have a kind of natural opiate effect by listening to certain kinds of music or by chanting that's pretty amazing I think I know music therapists always thinking about how music could be used for pain management when you work in medical settings and so that's that piece of research that would be interesting to know about more so in as far back as 1896, so this is over 100 years ago, which seems like 400 million years ago, American doctors found a connection between sound and healing when they noticed that music could improve blood flow and improve thought processes. The blood flow, I'm fascinated by. Right? Which again, the blood flow being linked to your heartbeat and your heart rate, it kind of makes sense. That's true. And then maybe you you kind of covered this in your music therapy, but music therapy was starting to be really used quite actively during the 1940s to rehabilitate soldiers returning from World War II. I think that's where a big part of the profession kicked off. Yeah. I had a conversation with someone really recently that depressed me, but they were like, obviously the world wars were terrible, but they caused so many advancements in medicine and healing because of the need for medicine and healing and operations. It's quite interesting, though, as well, to think about that from a gender perspective, is that a lot of things advanced. I mean, obviously, it's awful being a soldier coming back from war, but... When men needed it. When men needed it. But, you know, women, obviously, you know, dismissed as hysterical and, yeah. It'd be interesting to look into how much much has gone into researching music and women's issues. Yeah, well, I think, like, probably with most things, like, women's health is not greatly invested in and, yeah, yeah. So following uh, the development of music therapy in the 40s with the soldiers coming back from World War II, this led to onto sound wave therapy that was developed in the 50s by a pioneer British osteopath, which is a weird source for it to come from, right? Sir Peter Guy Manners. What a British name, Sir Peter Guy Manners. He developed the first machine designed to produce sound vibrations for healing. He placed it directly over the part of the body that required treatment and set it to match the vibration frequency of healthy cells for that region. And it was thought to return the cells to a healthy state. So he worked out what the vibration of a healthy cell was, because obviously most things, I think everything in the world vibrates to an extent. And then he made a machine that matched that frequency. So the idea was if you had unhealthy cells that were vibrating at a different rate, putting this machine on those cells would make them start vibrating in the same manner as the healthy cells. That's fascinating. Are there any like studies about it? Well, people went on to develop from this original. Right, right. Okay. So I'm sure that it has improved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Whatever. But by the 90s, this guy, Sir Peter Manners, had developed the first computerized system to treat a range of conditions. And then it was followed on by Dr. Alfred Tomatis and Dr. Guy Berard, who created auditory integration therapy, which was designed to improve a range of issues, including anxieties and learning disabilities. It is fascinating. It's just bonkers. And although I say, like, take your fucking medicine if you need to take your medicine, it is also lovely when you can support it with like non-surgical or medicinal interventions. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it has to be an either or. Yeah, I think exactly. it's finding what works for your say, healing process or for your whatever you want to call it. Yeah, your journey. <laughs> the journey, exactly. Yeah. So I, w- I went into the science a little bit more, but bearing in mind, I'm not a scientist. So um, <laughs> I, I went as far as I could go with my limited science knowledge. To understand the fundamentals of sound healing, we first have to understand the nature of brain waves. So brain waves are divided into five different bandwidths that form the spectrum of human consciousness. Mm. So the slowest brain waves are called delta waves, which is like up to three hertz. And they occur mainly when we're asleep. 
So if you think of the brain waves being very slow and steady while we're sleeping, the fastest brain waves are gamma waves, which are up to 100 hertz. And that is associated with higher states of conscious perception. So like actively thinking, working, et cetera. Alpha brain waves, for example, are kind of in the middle and they occur when you're daydreaming or you're, when you're practicing mindfulness and meditation. So that's a very nice state of mind to be in and arguably one that you want to get into regularly to give your mind a break, to relax. A series of experiments conducted by neuroelectric therapy engineer. I mean, who knew that was a profession, right? Neuroelectric therapy. Interesting. Yeah. Um, Dr. Margaret Patterson and Dr. Efor Kapel revealed how alpha brain waves, so those meditative brain wave states, boosted the production of serotonin, right? So now we're getting into science. Yeah. Serotonin is what I take my medicine for. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you could produce some by getting into to that meditative state, fucking awesome, right? Free, free drugs, free body yeah. drugs. Yeah. And hopefully without any side effects. Right. So Dr. Kappel explained, if your mental health is of concern, try listening to binaural beats to generate alpha waves. So listening to music between eight and 14 hertz, because that helps you produce more serotonin. Another option is to take advantage of music that promotes a relaxed alpha state of mind in the brain, such as classical music. And there has been a lot of stuff done on classical music and baby development and so forth, hasn't there? Mm -hmm, There has, yeah. Yeah, that it actually, there's scientific evidence of it producing this relaxed alpha state, which therefore in turn helps you produce serotonin, which is basically the happy drug that your body produces, one of the happy drugs. I've got it tattooed on me. (laughs) Oh my God, amazing. I love it. (laughs) Serotonin and dopamine because they're my favorite. And if you can't produce your own, store-bought is okay. Absolutely okay. It's absolutely okay to buy it. <laughs> so like we said with um, earlier on, where we were talking about how um, science is still catching up with a lot of the spiritual stuff, you know, to explain a lot of spiritual stuff that mm. lots of people are believing and, and looking into. Um, it's the same with music and sound healing. Science is still catching up on understanding how the, how the brain can be healed by music. Because we still know so little about the brain, right? we use such a small part of it. We understand an even smaller part of it. It's yeah, it's going to be a while. Yeah. I just think it's so powerful. Like what you've just highlighted there though, about the, um, the effects it could have for serotonin. I'm just thinking of, you know, if you were someone that struggles with depression or anxiety, if you had a playlist put together with those particular hertz, Frequen- so yeah, exactly. frequencies, and then, yeah, it's not just, I mean, who knows, but it's not to say it would cure, but it, just imagining the impact that could have. Like you said, no side effects. So it's for sure not going to hurt. Yeah. And it's got the potential of helping you in immeasurable ways, which is just, exactly. um, I, I just think it's amazing. So there was a review of 400 published scientific articles on music as medicine. And they found very strong evidence that music has mental and physical health benefits in improving mood and reducing stress. In fact, the rhythm in particular over the melody is what can provide physical pain relief, which is what we're talking before. Like that you can actually, I mean, if it has this opiate effect and produces mm-hmm. serotonin, then it, it, in theory, it could help with pain relief. So there was one study in particular published by the Journal of Evidence-Based Integrative Medicine found that an hour long sound meditation, which is basically what we're gonna be providing in August, helped people reduce tension anger, fatigue, anxiety, and depression while increasing a sense of spiritual well-being. I mean, fucking sign me up for all of that shit, right? That sounds amazing. (laughs) It does. I I want to sign up for that. And so there's many different theories that attempt to explain why sound experiences can be linked with deep relaxation and physical pain relief. Like I said, I didn't get into the hard science very much because I can't intellectually. (laughs) But there's also one theory that the sound works through the vibrational tactile effects on the whole body. So that's like literally the vibrations. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. It makes sense. I think if you've ever been to like, you know, a concert or a festival, whatever, you just you feel something, right? When you hear a piece of music and it just affects your whole being. I remember um, once hearing that Man of War and some of those heavy metal bands um, used to have an effect on women, making them amorous shall we say because of the bass 
that it has a very specific effect on women, um, which, you know, it's another thing that music is me. Lots of people have that kind of playlist, don't they? Exactly. Everyone's got that playlist. playlist. <laughs> Barry White's and the whatnots, right? There's a reason for that. Or, or boys to men, depending on what generation yeah. you are. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So sound can stimulate touch fibers that affect pain perception. One study of people with fibromyalgia found that 10 treatments twice per week for five weeks of low frequency sound stimulation improved their sleep and decreased their pain, allowing nearly three quarters of participants to reduce pain medication. Wow. And fibromyalgia is no fucking joke either, is it? No, 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 no. Sound-based vibration treatment has also shown to help people with pain from arthritis, menstrual pain, post-operative pain, knee replacement pain. So these are all studies that have shown that the impact of it. Sound-based treatment has even been found to improve mobility, reduce muscle pain and stiffness, increase blood circulation and lower blood pressure. I mean... This is a miracle drug. If we were talking about a drug, it would be a miracle, miracle drug, right? It is, yeah. And it just makes me think, you know, why it hasn't been invested in further. Right. Researchers are still trying to determine the mechanism of the healing benefits of sound, but sound in the form of vibrational therapy or meditation offers potential therapeutic benefits with low to minimal side effects, as we said. Then I went into solfeggio. Okay, so solfeggio is the belief that specific tones of sound help to promote different kinds of healing or effects on the body. And these frequencies, they date back to ancient history. And they pop up, like I said, in Western Christianity, in Eastern Indian religions, in the Gregorian chanting that we mentioned, and in Indian Sanskrit chants. So these different frequencies are used in loads of different contexts around the world, disconnected places. So again, that makes you think there must be something in it, right? If all these people independently have discovered this theory. So the 528 Hertz, it is thought to stimulate love, restore equilibrium, and work with the solar plexus chakra. Right? That's good, isn't it? Wow. <laughs> And then, so in 1988, because we need to have like a white man tell us that something is true before we believe it. Clearly. Oh, I should Google if he's white, but he's definitely Western. <laughs> Biochemist Dr. Glenn Rain made a discovery that confirmed what the ancient spiritual traditions understood when he tested the impact of different music on human DNA. Wow. So Dr. Rain exposed similar DNA vials to four different kinds of music with different frequencies, Gregorian chanting, Sanskrit chanting, classical music, and rock music. And by measuring the rate of UV light absorption, an essential function of healthy DNA, Rain was able to assess the effects of each type of music. And the results will make you reconsider the type of music you listen to and what you do when you want to relax, because the Gregorian and Sanskrit chanting had the most positive even healing effects by increasing UV light absorption between five to 9%. I'm going to start taking up Gregorian chant. Right? Yeah. The classical music increased UV absorption by small amounts and the rock music, which out of the four is probably what I would go to most commonly, decreased UV light absorption, <laughs> arming the DNA. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> I'm sure it's good for something else, though. Well, as we discussed, it will make you horny. (laughs) (laughs) But how interesting is that? Like That's fascinating. That it can affect the health of your DNA. 432 hertz. Many ancient musical instruments were constructed to this frequency because it's thought to be deeply calming and having soothing effects. And a recent study showed that compared to 440 hertz, so only eight hertz difference, 432 hertz slows down the heart rate, i.e. relaxes you. Yes, yeah. This frequency fills the mind with feelings of peace and well-being, making it a perfect accompaniment for yoga, gentle exercise, meditation, or sleep. So, so Solfeggio, like I said, is this study and belief 
that is got lots of evidence backing it up that different frequencies have different impacts on your brain waves, on your DNA even. And you can pick different music set to different frequencies to help you. So say I want to remove pain. Apparently music set at 174 Hertz is the best one for pain relief. You've got, for example, 432 Hertz, which is thought of as the miracle tone of nature. It's thought to be the sound of the earth. Wow. Again, how grounding is that? 528 Hertz, the one that I played originally, is thought to help with that DNA repair. And then you've got things like 741 Hertz, which is supposed to help with your intuition. In the social medias, I'll post some of the charts that you can find. Now, the most exciting thing is that this is super easy way of incorporating music and sound healing into your life because Spotify, YouTube, et cetera, they have different Solfeggio playlists. You can either just search for Solfeggio, like I listen to one on Spotify, which just rotates through various different sounds. You know what it sounds like, Solfeggio music? It sounds like really nice spa music. Okay. Okay. Which for me is really good background music for when I'm working, when I'm chilling, whatever, because it's normally not got vocals. Because I can't listen to vocals if I'm trying to read or write or anything. Oh, I'm the same. So it's perfect music for in the background. So I try to have it in the background at all times. If I don't want to think about what I'm playing, I just put on a solfeggio playlist and it really does chill me the fuck out. It gives me like the spa vibe, you know, and who doesn't want that spa vibe all the right? time? Yeah. But then you can also, if you, if you look at the different frequency charts, if you're like, oh, today I'm going to fix my DNA. You can find playlists on Spotify and YouTube that are specifically set to 528 Hertz. Oh, that's fabulous. All of them are 528 Hertz. And again, it will be spa music or whatever. Super, super cool. So check out Solfeggio. It's amazing. I hope that I've gone to show that the idea that music can influence your mood and your well-being, your spiritual well-being, your mental well-being, I don't think will be very shocking to very many people. But what is super cool is that it can actually have this physical impact on your pain relief and your potentially even repair your DNA it's fascinating. I'm literally going to go and find some playlists. <laughs> so. so yeah, that's, um, that's my little delve into sound healing. But I think the, the thing that's so super cool is that things like Solfeggio are so easily available. Like I said, if you go on Spotify. Oh, there's the, oh God, there's the 528. There's the DNA healing one. Yeah, there's loads. Look, Solfeggio soundscapes, Solfeggio frequencies, all nine Solfeggio frequencies, different playlists that people have made, Solfeggio sleep. I mean, there's fuckloads. Same with YouTube if you don't have a Spotify account, because I imagine Solfeggio is a bit irritating with ads popping up in the, in yeah, the yeah, 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 yeah. It might ruin the mood. But yeah, if you go to Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts or whatever, there's loads of different Solfeggio playlists that you can just pop it in the background while you're doing stuff. It's amazing. I'm going to do that. All right. Well, Safia, we're going to have you back. So thank you so much for joining me. And everyone, thank you for listening. Thank you for having me. Learned so much. (laughs) Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. If you want lots more fun, moon info, and all things spiritual, plus our merch shop, please visit our website, weknewthemoon.co.uk. And if you want even more, head over to our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash weknewthemoon, and check out some of our bonus content. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at we.new.the.moon. And we're also on Twitter at We Knew the Moon One. See you next time.